0: this passage will remind us that this is what Christmas reminds us of, that God's purposes will be accomplished. And there'll be many other things that we'll see here uh, this morning. So let's take a look then at Micah chapter five and we'll read verses two through six. Micah chapter five, verses two through six, and we will see God's purposes here for us this morning. Micah chapter five, verses two through six. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel." And he shall stand and feed them in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall abide for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth and this man shall be and this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land and when he shall tread in our palaces then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and with the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. Well, in this passage of scripture, what we have to do is first and foremost, we have to set the passage of scripture in its setting. As much as we want to emphasize this passage of scripture in its Christmas context, and there's a sense in which we really, really only know this passage of Scripture, many of us, from the Christmas context, I want you to see that this passage of Scripture has a setting all of its own. And I really believe that when you understand this passage of Scripture in its own setting, it will help you appreciate much more what it means for us in Christmas. Well, by way of this passage setting, then, what we find is this is this passage of Scripture is given at a time when the people of Israel, the people of Judah, are once again in a state of oppression because of sin. Their enemies are rising up against them, and their enemies, in one sense, are having their way with them. We see that age-old lesson that sin brings oppression, that sin brings destruction, that sin is a destroyer. And this is something that we don't want to lose sight of even as we come into Christmas. Because one of the things that we see by way of Christmas is that God is destroying the destroyer who is sin. And we'll develop that and we'll take a look at that. But again, this passage of scripture in in Micah is is reminding us that what we are seeing here is the people of Judah at a very low point in their history. It's interesting that uh, Micah is a contemporary with the prophet Isaiah. And that there are many of the great prophecies that are given concerning the Lord Jesus Christ are happening through these two prophets. Both Micah and Isaiah are speaking about the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. And so what I want you to see and understand then, when we consider uh, this passage of Scripture, you need to realize this, is that when we are at our lowest point, God oftentimes speaks a word of promise into our souls. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. Christmas isn't just about the, the joy that we experience as families. Christmas isn't just about that special time of the year that kind of is neat because we, we, we're, we're more kind to one another. We, we exchange gifts with one another. Christmas is really about the fact that when humanity is at its lowest, God's promises are made most clear. And we see that here in this passage of Scripture. And again, this is, again, the passage. It's set in a contrast. Did you notice verse 2? But thou. There's a contrast being set forth as to, the, as to the experience of the people of God up to this point. They were being oppressed, as I said. But God drops this word through the prophet. And what does he say? But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. And so, again, God is giving this prophecy. Well, in this prophecy, what we see are two primarily... The two primary points of focus. And the points of focus are, number one, the place of Bethlehem, and number two, the person of the Messiah. In the place of Bethlehem, we see a number of things. The first thing that we see about Bethlehem is this, is that its specificity as to where it is at. Now, that may not really catch your attention, but one of the things that was true in the days of the prophet Micah was that there were two Bethlehems at that time. There was a Bethlehem in the north, that was the Bethlehem Bethlehem of uh, Zebulon. And there was the Bethlehem in the south, and that was the Bethlehem of Ephrathah. And this prophecy is specific by way of what will eventually be the birthplace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this promised Messiah has a promise that is very specific to his coming. Aren't you glad that God can be that specific in his word? Aren't you glad that God can address the the specificity of circumstances? Aren't you glad that God doesn't just speak in great generalities? Oftentimes he does. Oftentimes he makes great sweeping promises. But there are those other times when very specifically the word of God comes to our situation. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And so again, the word, the promise is specific. The other thing that we see here about this uh, concerning Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Rephathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Well, one of the things that Bethlehem was known for, Bethlehem was known for a number of things, but one of the things that it was known for was its small kind of estate, we might say. It's interesting that many of the commentators bring out the fact that when Joshua was numbering the cities of, uh, of Israel for, uh, that would be ready to, to, to go to battle, Bethlehem was not numbered among them. Why? Because Bethlehem really couldn't uh, marshal enough forces to, to, be, to, to be present in battle. Bethlehem was a very small place. But Bethlehem, while it was a small place, and Bethlehem, while it did not appear to be a significant place, and what's kind of interesting about that in this context is that as the people of God are in a state of oppression from their enemies, God is promising a deliverer. But the deliverer that God is promising is not a deliverer who's coming from the great places of the earth. He's not a deliverer that's coming from the great Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He's a deliverer that's coming from some obscure place. And doesn't Christmas remind us that God oftentimes works the greatest things from the smallest of circumstances? Doesn't Christmas oftentimes remind us that God chooses the weak and the meek and the lowly to bring about the greatest things? You know the passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians. Look among you, brethren. We still say that today, don't we? Look among us, not many mighty according to the flesh, not many wise according to the wisdom of the world. But there is God accomplishing His purposes. We look around and sometimes we see, oh, the day of small things, and and maybe it grieves us, but God is still doing His work. Satan is not not thwarting God's purposes because of your or my inability. As a matter of fact, God is bringing fame to His name by using our inability to the glory of His name to accomplish His, His deeds. And so again, this idea that we see here, This is what Christmas reminds us of. Christmas reminds us, again, that God is able to act from the uh, the most unexpected places, we might say. But the other thing that we see here about Bethlehem is this, is that while Bethlehem was a small place, and while Bethlehem was an insignificant place uh, in the the eyes of, of many, Bethlehem had quite a history in the word of God. You know, Jacob's favorite, uh, uh, Jacob's, um, uh, let me make sure I get this right, Uh, Rachel died in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was significant because of that. Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem, and Boaz met them there. Of course, David was born in Bethlehem, and what's significant as to what Micah is doing, or what God is doing through the prophet Micah, is essentially this. He is locating the coming deliverer, in Bethlehem from the place of David's greatest king. He is purposely bringing about a Davidic identity with the coming king. And what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture is once again that the Messiah that is to come is not only to be the seed of the woman, you remember that last week, who becomes the seed of Abraham, we really didn't touch upon that last week, who is now to be a descendant of David. And so what we see is the, is the great prophetic structure that was laid out in Genesis 3.15 is continuing, is the continuing to go on. It's kind of interesting that when we trace out the, uh, the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that we see is this, what starts out in what we may say is seed form develops over time. And so now we will have a passage of scripture like this here in Micah chapter 5. When it does, when we do consider the person of Jesus Christ rather than just the place of his birth, when we consider the person of Jesus Christ, we see significant things are said about him. His ways are from old, from everlasting. There's something of, a, of an intimation of the eternal nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, as we go through the, uh, the, the other prophetic scriptures, uh, uh, Micah's contemporary, uh, Isaiah. What does Isaiah say about this idea of coming forth from everlasting? Isaiah refers to him as the father of eternity. You see, as the prophetic scripture goes on, we have more and more insight into the nature of this one who is coming. And so we see here again, Bethlehem, Bethlehem by way of its insignificance, Uh, Bethlehem by way of God's ability to to raise up uh, from Bethlehem uh, this one who will be a Savior. And there's a sense in which if we look at this passage of Scripture, we see Christ in three ways, we might say. As we develop the passage, not only verse 2, but as we go down to verses 4 through 6, we're going to see that Christ is presented in this passage of Scripture as a Savior He's going to be presented in, scripture, in this passage of Scripture as a sovereign. The King James uses the word ruler. For out of these shall come forth one who is a ruler. And then we shall see that the Lord Jesus Christ is set forth as a shepherd. We're going to see in verses 4 through 6. What does this ruler, what does this sovereign do? What does this Savior do? He gathers his people. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. When we are oppressed and scattered because of sin... Our Savior, our, our, our Sovereign, our Shepherd brings us back to the Heavenly Father. And these are the things that we see. These are the great themes that we see in this passage of Scripture. So again, we've seen the things here about Bethlehem, the, the relative insignificance of Bethlehem, the, specific, the uh, specificity of its identity, uh, the littleness of it. But we go on to see now that Micah not only mentions the place of Messiah's coming, but Micah also mentions, again, something about the person of the Messiah himself. And notice what he says here. He says, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, uh, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Well, I want you to notice then the Savior that's set forth in this passage of Scripture and that Savior is again. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Jews of uh, the, the religious leaders of our Lord's day knew that, didn't he? Take your Bibles and go to and go to uh, Matthew chapter two. And Matthew chapter two may be the reason why this passage of scripture is so familiar to us. Matthew chapter two, uh, verses one through six. And again, this would be a very appropriate passage of scripture uh, to preach uh, from uh, on Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came to, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard all these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. You see, the religious leaders knew that this passage of Scripture spoke of Christ. Whatever there was by way of a deliverer in the time in which Micah was speaking about, the religious leaders knew that it had larger implications. And this is one of the things that we see throughout all the word of God by way of prophecy. So oftentimes when the prophetic word is given, a prophecy has an immediate context, but it has a larger context as well. And there's great encouragement in this because there's a sense in which we can read the word of God, the prophetic scriptures and say, oh, yes, there it was. The prophecy was given and there it was fulfilled. And yet there is more. We come, into the new, we come into the pages of the New Testament and we say, oh, there it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And now here we see in the New Testament it being fulfilled in a full way in Jesus Christ. And we can even say, and yet there is more. And so when we speak about Christmas, do we only speak about it in the past tense? No, why? Because yet there is more. Wherever, people, wherever the people of God are oppressed by sin, a shepherd comes forward, a savior comes forward, a sovereign comes forward. That's what Christmas reminds us of. And so the Christian reads the Bible and he sees, yes, a fulfillment there. And yet there's more to be fulfilled. God breaking out new light from his word. The passage, the word of God coming to you in a way that you've never seen it before. A new revelation? No. But further insight into the scriptures. God is done speaking, we might say. In that regard, God speaks in his word. Oh, but the insight that we yet to have in his word is that which we pray that the Spirit of God by way of illumination would give to us. And so again, the one who comes forth here now is the Savior. And again, this gives us another one of these reminders of what Christmas is all about. You see, Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises. Did you notice this passage of Scripture again in Micah chapter 5 two? Again, yet, uh, yet out of thee shall he come forth. The Savior shall come forth. And what Christmas reminds us of when we see Jesus of Nazareth born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea. Again, that's the the southern Bethlehem, Micah says of Zebulon. Zebulon would be within the region of Judea. When when, uh, When we see Jesus is born in Bethlehem, that tells us that this deliverer has come. God's purposes will be fulfilled. God's purposes will be accomplished. You see, this is the great thing that sustains us, doesn't it? You have to understand what kind of a what kind of a situation the people of Micah's day were in. They were they were in a very and uh, a very precarious situation. The Assyrians had come down upon the northern kingdom of Israel. For those of you who are who are, who are joining us in our in our evening studies, we you know we're we're talking about the, the divided kingdom, uh, the kings of, of the north of of the kingdom of Israel, and the kings of the south. Well, the king, the kingdom of the north has been completely been destroyed at this point. And the Assyrians are coming down, coming very close to Jerusalem. And I love that thought because the thought is this, that in the presence of our oppressors, God still speaks to his people. This is amazing. This is comforting. And so again, what we're seeing here is this idea that even in the presence of oppression, God's, God's purposes shall come to pass. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. Like I said, you see what I'm doing with this theme of Christmas? You understand how I'm trying to weave in the thought or the theme of Christmas with the person of Jesus Christ? And while I will be the first to admit that Christmas in one sense is, is that which is a, is, is a word has is, is, is just come to us from human, from, from church history, but by way of the incarnation and the power of God manifested in time, it's the purpose of God. And what we're seeing here, again, is that Christmas reminds us that God will accomplish what he intends to accomplish. Again, we've seen, we've seen already the, uh, the passage of Scripture in, uh, in Matthew uh, 2. And what we see is that in this passage of Scripture, both in, in the Micah passage and in the Matthew passage, what we are reminded of is this, is that, as I said, God's purposes are going to come to pass. Well, you know what's interesting by way of man's opposition to the things of God. Man rises up against God, doesn't he? Sometimes he doesn't know he's rising up against God, but he does. Herod did it. Here Herod asked the religious leaders, well, where is Christ to be born? Down there in Bethlehem. Well, I'll put an end to that. I'll put a stop to that. And there's arrogant man rising up against God thinking that he'll put a stop to God's purposes. But it's not going to happen. Why? Because Christmas reminds us that God accomplishes his purposes. So when you come to Christmas this year and you celebrate and you exchange your gifts, remember that gift you exchange is nothing but a picture of the gift that God gave you and his son, Jesus Christ. God accomplishes his purposes, you see. And again, there was Herod in Matthew chapter two, verses seven and eight, when Herod heard, excuse me, then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently uh, what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search diligently for the young child, And when he had found them and when, and when you find them, bring me word again that I might come and worship him, all oh, the, the evil intents of this man, verse 16. Of chapter 2, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and he set forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. You see, this idea that man attempts to thwart the purposes of God. You need to remember that. You need to have that truth sunk deep in your soul. That God's purposes for you will indeed indeed come to pass. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. And you see, this is what I'm doing, as I said before. This is how I'm trying to treat this passage of Scripture. Last week, again, Genesis chapter 3. Again, it's a good passage to consider Christmas from because of all the lessons that that are bound up in that little seed of Genesis 3.15. Here now, in in Micah chapter 5, this passage of Scripture reminds us of certain things of Christmas. And here again, that God's purposes will be fulfilled. Another thing that we see about the, about the person of our Savior in Micah chapter 2, uh, we see not only again this idea that God's purposes will be accomplished, but what we see about the Savior is this. It is very, very encouraging. It is, it, it is absolutely, uh, again, enthralling, I might say. Here I am speaking about Christmas and, and God's purposes being accomplished and I'm putting you and I, meet you and me within the context of all that. God's purposes for his people will be fulfilled. But you know what is really, really a joy to see in this passage of scripture in Micah? Is that Christmas from this perspective of this passage of scripture reminds us that Christmas is not primarily about us. That Christmas is primarily about God's will being accomplished. Listen to what the passage of scripture says. Notice again. Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Israel. You see what we're seeing here in Christmas is this. Christmas is the accomplishment of the will of God. Christmas shows us that God's will will be accomplished. Christmas reminds us that the Savior who is a sovereign. Who is a shepherd comes into this world just to save sinners but to save sinners according to the will of the Father. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ, in one sense, I can, if I can say this, this is how he identified himself. He identified himself as the one who did the will of the Father. It was spoken of him in the book of Psalms that he would do this. Psalm 40, chapter, uh, Psalm forty, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. This is spoken prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the fulfillment of it, uh, spoken of in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. Then said I, a reference to Jesus Christ, lo, I come. The reference to the incarnation in the volume of the book, a reference to prophecy. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ comes to do the will of the Father. And he he takes great joy in that. He identifies himself in that way. John chapter 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. And the Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Christmas reminds us that the Son of God has come into the world to do the will of the Father. And aren't you glad the will of the Father is to save sinners? You see, it's primarily about God's will being done. And so again, these are the things that Christmas reminds us of. And so what we see here is this. is Let's not forget that Christmas reminds us, as I said before, that it is the will of God who, to come and to save sinners. We saw that last week, didn't we? In Genesis chapter 3. You know, again, this is one of the themes in the Bible, isn't it? That God seeks sinners. You know, God is seeking you. God is seeking to redeem us. And if we are redeemed, can I say it this way? God is seeking to use you. You know, I, 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 it's almost like a reflex when I see young people. God's trying to use you. I say it over and over again. And I mean it. God using His people, and those of us who are older, God is not done with us. Amen. You know, He may have He may have a Moses here in this. Yeah, he may have some Moses. He, he may have those old saints that He's not done using yet. Oh, may we see it in our congregation. May God be glorified by it. And so again, we we see these things. But the last thing that I want you to see here from this passage of Scripture, by way of um, uh, by way of I'm sorry, the other thing that I want you to see uh, in, in this in, in this passage of scripture uh, that we uh, that we see here is that this this passage of scripture is given not only in a time of, uh, of uh, where, where Judah is being oppressed by its enemies. It's also given in a time when there has been a serious failure of leadership in Judah in that day this is one of the things that, that, that Micah is dealing with. He's dealing with the failure of leadership. Again, as Isaiah is a contemporary, if you go into the opening chapters of uh, excuse me <clears throat> of Isaiah, <clears throat> if you go into the opening chapters of Isaiah, what you see is, 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 is God's, we might put it this way, God's case against uh, the people of Israel. And listen to what we read in Micah by way of the failure of leadership. In Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we read the following. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it. Now listen, because it is in the power of their hand. It's a sad thing when we live in a day where those who just because they have the power to work iniquity, work it. And there is no one to stop them. You see, God observes when that happens. People who by, by way of their power, by way of their influence, by way of their significance, by way of their might, working iniquity just because it's in the power of their hand to do it. That's the day that Micah prophesies of. Listen to Micah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. And here we see we see a failure of leadership in the political realm. And I said, here I pray you, O heads of Jacob and ye princes of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know Judgment. In other words, you, you're the ones who, are, who ought to be determining and, and, and revealing and, and expressing what is right and wrong. Verse 2, you who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off the skin from off of them and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot, as the flesh within the cauldron. And the leaders of the people, what were they doing? They saw the people as what? What? nothing nothing other than those to be taken advantage of this was the day that Micah prophesied of there were failures not only in the political leaders there were were failures in the religious leaders as well verse 5 of Micah 3 thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace and he that putteth not into the mouth they even prepare war against them Verses nine through eleven. Hear this, I pray you. And here again, we have the whole we have the whole uh, uh, structure of leadership brought together. Hear this, I pray you. You heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel. There's the political that abhor that abhor judgment and pervert equity that build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Verse eleven. Now the religious, the heads that judge for reward and the priests that teach thereof for hire and the prophets thereof that divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say it is not is not the yet they will lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. These people are not only wicked, they are wickedly deceived. They think that in spite of all of their sin, God is still with them. That's the day that Micah that's the day that Micah prophesied of, or the day that Micah prophesied in. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like a day that you and I are familiar with? And I'm bringing these points out to you. Why? Because in that day of Micah, just like in our day, prophetic promises are given and Christmas reminds us that God's purposes will be accomplished. You may come across people who seemingly will eat up your flesh just because it's in the power of their hand to do it. You may come across people who have no concern for you by way of what the law says. You may come across people who by way of, uh, who by way of uh, their religious position may just seek to take advantage of you. But God's purposes will be done. And what we see specifically in this passage of Scripture is that it's in in against that backdrop that God speaks about a true leader. All right? There shall come forth unto me one whose ways are from old, from everlasting. And what Christmas reminds us of then is this. If you find yourself living in a day of of political and of religious uh, uh, failure of leadership, Christmas reminds us to look for that true leader come from God himself. The one who is the sovereign, the one who is the savior, the one who is the shepherd. And again when we take a look at who this one is, there's a sense in which Micah has to give us this information because while again Micah is is not only Micah is attaching the coming prince with the great king of David, Micah is also showing to us that there is something about this coming prince that even goes beyond David. Listen to what the passage of Scripture says, who's going forth has been of old. We could take a look right now if we we chose to, to look at all those places in the Old Testament where we see these glimpses of Jesus Christ on the pages of Old Testament history. There he was in Genesis 18, uh, coming to Abraham. Uh, There he was as the angel of the Lord in those various places throughout the Old Testament. But I think the clearest place where we see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament is really in Isaiah 6. You say to me, Isaiah 6, wait a minute, isn't that the, the vision that Isaiah has of the Lord God Almighty? Yes, it is. But if you were to ask an inspired writer of the New Testament and say, Excuse me, Mr. Inspired Writer of the New Testament, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who did Isaiah see? And uh, who did the Isaiah see in, in that sixth chapter? And that inspired writer of the scripture would say to you, Oh, by the way, that one he saw was none other than Jesus Christ. You might say to me, Pastor, preacher, where are you going with this? Well, I'm going to John chapter 12, verse 41. And what does John chapter 12, verse 41 say? He says this, Isaiah spake of him when he saw his glory and testified of him. Isaiah, according to John in the 12th chapter of the gospel of John, saw the glory of Jesus Christ on the throne of God. And so again, we see that this one is from everlasting, from old. He is, in a sense, the ancient of days. This is why Isaiah calls him, this is why Isaiah calls him the Father, uh, the Father of eternity. You see, Jesus Christ did not just begin in time. He's the one who comes into time. He is the one who is the eternally beloved of the Father. And so these passages of Scripture, again, whose going forth has been from old, even from everlasting. And this is what we see concerning our dear Savior, as given in this passage of Scripture. Again, the the the, the specifics of his person: he comes as a Savior, he comes as a Sovereign, he comes as a uh, as a Shepherd. And that's the third thing I want you to see here. Now, we don't see it in the we don't see it so much in the second verse, but as we go down, notice what we see here in verses uh, three and following. In verses three and following, read as follows: Therefore, he will give them up until the time that she which hath, tra- which I'm sorry. Therefore, he will give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And here's the key, here's what I want you to see by way of his shepherding uh, uh, characteristic. Verse four: And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. And in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing here is that this, this promised deliverer is, again, a shepherd to the people of God. And it's very interesting to see that in the book of Micah, the theme of a shepherd comes up at least three times. Listen to the passages, uh, to the passages of, of Scripture uh, that bring this out. And the first is in, is in, just turn back a few pages, is in Micah chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. And notice what God says, Surely I will assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. Surely I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as a sheep. You see, again, what do we see here? Here is this one who is coming, who is showing all the all the characteristics of God as the shepherd of his people. Look and look again in, in chapter four, uh, verse six, chapter four, verse six, in that they saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth and I will gather her that is driven out and uh, th- that I have afflicted. And what do we see here? Again, God is acting as a shepherd, bringing back those who he has once chastened. And so again, the Lord Jesus Christ showing these characteristics as the shepherd. Again, verse four of chapter five. Again, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. So again, what we see about this one who is coming, who, who is from the line of David, the, this one who is promised in a time of oppression, uh, this one whose days are from old, this one who comes uh, again not only as a savior, but as a sovereign, a ruler in Israel, this one now who is a shepherd, wasn't this how Jesus Christ identified himself? You see, he takes that title to himself, doesn't he? He says, I am the good shepherd. And did you see in this passage of scripture what the shepherd does? He gathers his people, He leads his people. He feeds his people. But in John 10, what does he do? He dies for his people. You see, Jesus Christ is the promised shepherd, and that's what Christmas reminds us of. Christmas reminds us that when we find ourselves oppressed and scattered by sin, God is sending a shepherd to bring us back to himself. This passage of scripture then reminds us of so many things about Christmas. And so what I would say to you then is this. As you come into this time of Christmas, As you prepare for Christmas, oh, don't forget what this passage reminds you of. It reminds you that if you live in a time of oppression, God is sending His Son. It reminds you that God's purposes will indeed be fulfilled. It reminds you that God will accomplish all that He purposes. It reminds you that the help that God sends sometimes will come from the most unlikely of places, but it will come. so, my brothers and sisters, I make no qualms about this. I'm preaching here to you now. And I'm preaching to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know reality seems to crash in on the promises of God at times. Doesn't it? Reality seems to scream louder than the word of God. But Christmas. Christmas reminds you of certain things. And when your circumstances seem to speak louder than the word of God. My brothers and sisters don't forget. Christmas has come. Christmas is coming and everything that Christmas represents is fulfilled in the person of your Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, may the Spirit of God apply all these truths in a way that I'll not or could not be able to, but may the Spirit of God apply them and in in one sense, unlock the key to your heart and drop these sweet promises in there. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, you know how oftentimes, Lord, we find ourselves overwhelmed at times oppressed, at times beaten down. And Father, these are our realities that we experience. We know, Father, that even in our own congregation, there are many people who are oppressed by various things. But yet, Father, here's your word. And this is what your people are here for, Father. They're here not to hear other people commiserate with them, You're here not to hear other people bring them down to to their own level, so to speak. Father, your people are here to hear about your son. Your people are here, Father, if you'll allow me to use this kind of phrase. Your people are here, Father, to be reminded of what Christmas is all about. And it's not about toys. And it's not just about family getting together. It's about you accomplishing your will, Father. And so, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we lay ourselves before you. And we pray first and foremost, Father, be glorified in the expression of your will in our lives. But may that will include all the deliverances that you have promised to your people. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.